Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Revelation 5, 1 through 14. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Revelation in your Bible. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth." Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Thank you, Sam. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Well, we uh, continue going through the book of Revelation, and um, we, a couple of things we've said about it from the very beginning is that despite some of the wild and fantastic imagery that seems like doom and gloom, that the book of Revelation is actually a book of hope and expectation. It is a book that's meant to encourage uh, the faithful in the, in the church in John's day to encourage them that, that the things that they are experiencing are not the final thing. Uh, that the, the hardship and the persecution and the death maybe that they have experienced is not the end, but that one day, one day, God's going to come back and, and set all things right. Uh, the vision starts, and, and John uh, tells us he gets kind of caught up in this vision and begins to see um, pictures of the heavenly throne room. And uh, one of the very first things that happens is Jesus tells him to, to write down letters to seven churches. And we've spent the last several weeks going through those, those letters. And, and each of those letters was supposed to be, uh, well, a, a bit of encouragement, uh, a, bit, a bit of chastisement, telling them the things that they had done, uh, done poorly, uh, encouraging for the things that they did well and, and, and chastising them for the things that they didn't do. 
as well as uh, offering to them an opportunity to change the direction that they were going, uh, to repent, if you will, and to to turn back and to be faithful once again. Uh, The things that were in those letters we discovered were not just for those churches. And and the, the way that the book of Revelation functions is not just... Well, it's, it's an apocalyptic literature, right? Not like doom and gloom, apocalypse, uh, not Mad Max, okay? It's not Mad Max. Uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not all doom and destruction. It's, um, but it uses these imageries that are meant to evoke responses and to, to guide us into reflecting about the nature and character of God and what God is doing in our world. Uh, and so we, we notice that even though these letters are addressed to these seven churches, that they are not just addressed to those seven churches. But in a way, in a way that apocalyptic literature does and prophetic literature does, it's, it's addressed to us as well. It, it speaks to present realities and to future hopes uh, and even maybe future realities for us here and now. And so we discovered at each church that there was something that was relevant to us in that letter. Uh, maybe an encouragement for our faithfulness, Uh, maybe a chance to examine who we were serving and why we were serving them, Uh, or to to examine our own idolatries, the idols that we might worship, Uh, to look at uh, our, well, if we are fully committed to, to Jesus Christ and what he's doing, his kingdom in the world, or if we are just kind of, eh, lukewarm, right? We're not, really, we're not really following, we're not really not following, we're just comfortable and apathetic. Well, that was last week. Um, as we begin, uh, we're not going to go through a whole lot more of Revelation, because we've been in this. Uh, I promise you, though, that we're going to we'll do chapter 5 this week and chapter 7, and then part of chapter 21. At some point, we will come back and hit a whole bunch of uh, those in-between points. But it's, uh, we've been in this a while, and, and there's other things I want to get to, and I think maybe we just need to move on. So that was the plan from the beginning. Actually, I didn't plan for us to be in Revelation this long, uh, but, you know, plans. Um, so uh, we've skipped chapter 4, and it begins to describe again the, the heavenly throne room. And, and John's intention is not necessarily to give us a literal, literal interpretation of what the heavenly throne room looks like. Um, Maybe it looks like that. I I don't really know. Certainly that's how John perceives it. But but more importantly, uh, the things that are written in chapter 4 and and here in chapter 5 are meant to help us to understand who Jesus is. Uh, Who Jesus is now that he's not um, walking among us as, uh, as a human fully in human form. Now he's still, church confesses that Jesus is still in human form. He never stops being Jesus Christ, who was crucified and raised from the dead. But it's, a, it's, a, it's to help us understand uh, what is going on and what will happen uh, as time progresses. Um, so it's, a, it's about Jesus predominantly, which is essentially what all of Revelation is really about. Well, we start at uh, verse 5. Uh, actually, we're, we'll go back. We're not there yet. Just a second. Um, we, we enter the, the room and the, uh, there's one sitting on the throne and that's, we're meant to believe that's you know, God the Father. 
And uh, we, we have seen, though, in chapter 4, that there are all these people who are in, the 24 elders that represent kind of the, the fullness of God's faithful followers. And, and they remove their crowns and place them at the feet of the throne uh, in an act of worship, in an act of confession, saying that, that we are not masters of our own world, that, that we are engaging in worship. And worship is an act of saying, I am not my own but I place my hands in, in the provision and care of the loving God. Uh, and, and so uh, a scroll comes forth, uh, we are told. And uh, I'll just read some parts. Then I saw at the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So we, we see in, in the hand of the one on the throne, the sealed uh, scroll. Now it's sealed because uh, it, it's meant to note its authenticity, uh, that what's written on it has not been tampered with. And, and, and we don't really get a huge hint as to what might be on this particular scroll. But we get the sense that it's something important, uh, that it's something that, that tells about what will happen next. Uh, put yourself in, in, in John's position, perhaps. Put yourself in the position of those who would have heard this read in the context of their own worship service. Uh, a context probably of persecution and hardship. And, and you've been wondering, where is God? Why has he not come back again? What's going to happen? Is, is death and loneliness and violence the only thing that will reign and you look at the scroll and you say, this scroll holds the answer to what God is going to do. The redemption that God is going to bring. The salvation that God is finally going to bring. And so you are excited about what this scroll might hold. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, worthy, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So there you are, all of this hope, all of this hope wrapped up in, in what this scroll says. And the angel's like, who is worthy to open it? And you're like, yes, yeah, somebody's going to come forth and we're going to break those seven seals and we're going to find out and we're going to be delivered from our oppression and persecution. And crickets. And John tells us that he begins to weep bitterly because in a moment he's, he's had this crescendo of hope and it's crashed because nobody, nobody's worthy. It goes on a little before. Uh, anyway, this is where our slides pick up. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judy, Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Finally, he's, he's like, great, he's here. Like, the lion of Judah is going to open up the scroll and to make all things right. Now, this is... Uh, this is Old Testament language, right? So Judah was the southern nation of Israel. It's where, where David lived. It's, uh, it's where the temple was in Jerusalem. And, and uh, the root of David, that's King David, like Israel's most famous king ever. And, and all of this kind of language, and, and David was wrapped up with Israel's hope for salvation, 
hope for a, a Messiah, a Savior, who was going to come and restore Israel to what it once was in its glory and its splendor. Uh, it, it, it's messianic language. It's, it's hope-filled. Uh, ironically, I think the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they understood this lion of the tribe of Judah language maybe a little too literally. Uh, that, that the Messiah was going to come, maybe be like David in his conquering ability, or that he was going to come in, in the strength and power of a lion, the, the biggest predator they knew at the time, and was going to, to do all of the things and use all of that power and strength to set the world right. Ironically, that's, I think the Jewish religious leaders take that a little too literally, They've got it wrong in, in terms of what Jesus is. We, we know he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He ends up dying on the cross. But still, I think the hope lingered on that, that Jesus would come back again. This time, not, not as one who was crucified, but that he would come back as a lion who would kick some rear and take some names. John's engaging this imagery on purpose. Uh, he's playing on all of their hopes and their expectations. Again, he's kind of bringing them to this emotional high point. It goes on. John lifts up his head, and then he, then he saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent around all the earth. It's meant to be a surprise. Now, now you and I, the slaughtered lamb kind of language, that's just normal for us. It's Christianese. It's part of our vocabulary. We, we kind of have that imagery, so it's not necessarily a surprise to us. But, but in that day, it, it would have been. It was meant to be a shock to John and to people reading John's letter. Here they were expecting this giant, powerful lion. By, by the way, who has cats? cats? Like our cat is, I don't know, this big, and he's a stone-cold killer. Like he will rather eat you. Can, can you imagine like the, the power in a lion? You've seen, you've seen it on the Discovery Channel, right? The, the, the strength, the muscles, the, the speed, the agility. John wants to see a lion. His readers want to see a lion. And what do they get? They get Baba Black Sheep. <laughs> Maybe not black, I don't know. Uh, they get a little lamb who, who is not just little, but he's been killed. Like all of that, all of that strength, and, and we have a picture right here. This is a pretty famous painting by a uh, a Dutch guy, I think, J Jan van Eyck. And you can't see it there, but the, the lamb is standing and he's got a wound right where his heart is and it's flowing into uh, a little chalice and it's obviously meant to represent Christ's death and the Lord's Supper and all those kind of things together. Uh, this is called the Adoration of the Lamb, by the way. Uh, expecting all this strength and power. And they get this little lamb 
who was slaughtered, whose, whose life was drained out of it, and yet, yet Christ gets raised from the dead. There, there's one other thing that I think we, we need to notice about this. Well, I, actually, I think, popularly, I think how the Christian message has often been interpreted. And, and I wish this image shift would be as striking for us as it maybe would have been for John's readers. We talk about, well, we want the lamb who dies for our, our sins, who's meek and mild and loving and who never raises his voice. We want that to be our savior. But then we want, on, on the back end, we want the lion to come and to bite off the heads of all of those people who are evil and bad and who will, who will not choose to turn and repent. Does that make sense? Like, and and it's, it's unfortunate uh, that we want that sometimes. Um, popular theology has, uh, has it the other way around. We want the lamb to offer forgiveness and grace and then we want the lion to arrive and rain judgment on those who refuse to be repentant. Uh, This is one of the commentators that I read. But love was not a provisional strategy of the earthly Jesus to be eventually replaced by transcendent end-time violence. They've had their chance and love has not worked. One of the things that's significant is that the word that John uses for slaughtered is in the, is in the perfect tense. It's, it's a present reality that has consequences that go into the future. So we'd be, be able to say that it is the lamb who was slaughtered and continues to remain and be the lamb who was slaughtered. That Jesus' essential character and his nature from this point forward is the lamb who was slaughtered. Whose power is not in great, great, jaws or claws or muscles whose ability to bring out salvation is not in in violence and destruction it is not in necessarily in in terrible judgment but it is in a self-sacrificing self-giving love and that's that's kind of what well it's kind of how we're supposed to be right The lion's a good image, but Jesus is the lamb who was and continues to be the lamb who was slaughtered, whose power is not, whose power is made perfect in weakness. I think the church today, maybe ours, maybe not, we want, we want the lamb or the lion. We want to be strong and powerful and influential and we want to bring about salvation for maybe for us and maybe for our world in powerful and strong kinds of ways and that's just not who Jesus is calling us to be. We'll go forward here. The... uh, The passage moves on, uh, and in the midst of all of that, in the midst of this lamb who stands there, by the way, seven horns, that's like the completeness of power. So even though John is conveying this image of 
well, slaughteredness, but he's conveying an image of Christ's powerfulness over the world, even in its self-sacrificialness. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. And then I look, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbered martyrs of myriads of thousands and thousands singing with a full voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and to honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and all of the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What we have here is the engaging of all of creation in worship of the one who is perfect, whose power is made perfect in weakness, who conquers not through violence, but by giving himself up for the sake of others. And all of creation witnesses to the fact that this is the God who created everything. This is the God who is coming again to set all things right. This is the God who calls to you and me. This is the God who calls to us as the church and says, I want you to be more like the lamb and less like the lion. The nature and character of God as revealed to us in Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain yet lives in power and strength in a way that we have hard time comprehending. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. But the world will think that the wisdom of God is foolishness. And you may be thinking to yourself, if we live like a lamb, we will get slaughtered. Yes, maybe. That is utter foolishness. Maybe. But it's foolishness in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of God. And while I I really want to be wise in the world, I really, really want to participate in what God is doing in our world. And I want to participate in what God is doing in the world in the way that God has called us to do it. in a way that is selfless and giving, a way that that gives away, that is generous and kind and humble. That's not inactive, but isn't maybe necessarily considered powerful in the eyes of the world. The book of Revelation, um, as we move on, everything I think, kind of impinges, hinges on 
1 through 5. That if if we forget what's happening here, we will completely miss everything else that Jesus is saying to us through John. I think there are three things uh, that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind. Uh, Later on when we preach this, as we maybe read this on our own in the coming weeks. First, the setting and the context are one of worship. John's work was meant to be read during a gathering of faithful believers as they worship God. Not only that, but the flow of Revelation is all about worshiping the God of creation. The one who spoke the world and everything into existence. Revelation is about worshiping the one who remains so faithful that our greatest sins are not held against us. Second, and this I think is super important. That revelation is written to the faithful who are at that very moment suffering greatly under Roman and Jewish persecution. While revelation might be a general picture of the end of all things, it speaks a word of hope to those who are persecuted. It does so by loudly proclaiming that the forces of darkness and evil have not and will not win the day. We have got it really good here in America. We're not persecuted by, by any stretch of the imagination. But if we are, if, if for some reason it gets to that point where we are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, it will be okay because we serve the crucified yet resurrected Son of God. The one about whom all of creation worships and praises and gives glory and honor because he's the only one who is worthy to bring about the end of all things, its restoration and redemption. Third, we must remember that the primary image of Jesus depicted in John's revelation is the slaughtered lamb who overcomes and wins the victory. Not through violence and destruction, but through suffering and love and sacrifice. Jesus remains the slaughtered lamb and the final victory will come about in the same way as Jesus' first victory came about. John is, is encouraging us towards faithful worship. Worship that, that says our understanding of things is foolish and that we need to invest ourselves in the wisdom of God. That we need to find our very identity not in the lion, but in the lamb who was slaughtered and yet overcomes and wins. A couple questions I have for us. Uh, do we worship in hope and expectation that at the end of all things, God is going to make all things right? Because I think that's, that's really what it is about. Are we willing to align ourselves with the slaughtered lamb? Do we worship with hope and expectation? Are we willing to align ourselves with the slaughtered lamb? We're going to uh, receive the Lord's Supper, and it's, it's no accident that this meal fits in very nicely with this passage, right? By the way, I think it does for most passages in the Bible. Uh, that this is a reminder 
that Jesus is lamb who was slain, that the very imagery that Jesus uses is one of blood and body. As weird as that is. But it is a reminder that we do this and and that Christ is still the slaughtered lamb, but one who sits now in victory and who will come in final victory. And so my hope and prayer for this meal as as we receive it is that it will nourish us through the power of the Spirit to become just a little bit more like the lamb and less like the lion. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.